Lord Jesus, we believe, we know that you are here and that you are a way maker, that you are a promise keeper. And it's not something that we just read about in your word, but it's true today. And so we open ourselves to your spirit. Pray that this morning we wouldn't just be here in body, but that our whole heart soul, mind, and strength would be here. And that we'd be honest and bring our true selves to you. And that we would turn our thoughts from anything that competes. And that we would focus on you, the one true holy God, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May you speak through me. And may you speak to our hearts this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Chris Peters, one of the pastors here, pastor of adult discipleship. And as we get started, I want to just say thank you to you all. Many of you have been asking about my daughter who was due with our first grandchild on Christmas Day. I didn't announce it last time I led worship, but she finally had a little girl on January 3. She's healthy. Her name is Sloan Rose Winter. We are overjoyed. My wife Rita and I are grandparents for the first time. It's a good gig. And um, we are excited as a family. And uh, her and my daughter Brittany and her husband Mark live in Colorado Springs. And we're just praying for them. And Sloan is growing like a weed. So uh, we're excited about that. I also want to make sure you just hear from me. If you're a guy in the room, I'd really want to challenge you to join us next Saturday. We, we did this last year, and it was a powerful day of, of engaging different elements of what it means to be a man of God. You can register in the back at the Welcome Center. You can register online. And I just challenge you, if anybody here, if the $20 is a barrier, I had someone approach me and say, if anybody needs needs help in making it work, please let me know. Send me an email and we'll, we can get that covered. Somebody wants to make sure that there's no barrier to someone coming today. So this morning as we turn into the Word, we have been in the Gospel of John, sort of looking at in these early chapters of the Gospel of John at these powerful encounters that Jesus has with different people. Each one of them different, but Jesus meeting them in an authentic way. And so as we step into John chapter 4 this morning and learn from Jesus, we're going to sort of have two things going on at the same time. We are going to be reflecting on what does this encounter that Jesus has with the woman at the well, how does that speak to me? What does Jesus want to say to me and to my heart? And at the same time, we're going to be reflecting about how does what, how Jesus encounters this woman at the well, how does it sort of teach me and inspire me or model for me how Jesus wants me to have authentic encounters with other people? And so this morning, I'm just praying that God would stir our own hearts and that he would help equip and give each of us some tools and how we connect with others around us. So as we start, let me open God's Word, John chapter 4. This is what it says. The Pharisees heard 
that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although the fact was not that it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of it, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. We're going to stop there right now. But as we turn into these first verses of chapter 4, this is what I want you to know. Jesus' ministry was starting to attract attention. It wasn't the time for Jesus to take on the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And so Jesus, to avoid um, sort of a direct clash with the leaders at that time, it says he started back to Galilee. And it says this phrase, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. And I just want to let you know, you, there's a little clue in there, because no Jewish person would say, I had to go through Samaria. No other Jews would have made that choice to go through Samaria. Because they hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated them back. It was a deep divide between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Many years earlier, in 722 BC, when Israel had been exiled, some of the people remained in the Samaria area, and they had intermarried and intermixed and adopted practices that were not in line with the Jewish faith. And so ever since that time, those people who the Jews considered half-breeds and had mixed their religions, they didn't engage with one another. They weren't when, they, when the Jews came back, they didn't welcome the presence of the Samaritans and they thought that they had compromised and they thought that they had gone far away. And so the hatred between these groups ran very, very deep. They even went so far as that when they had to travel from one part of Israel to another, they would walk around Samaria. If there's a map on the screen, I believe. Do we have it? So if you want to think, if you were going from Galilee up by Nazareth or the Sea of Galilee, and you wanted to go down Jerusalem, down in Judea, they would walk around, instead of going the direct way through Samaria along the ridge lines of the mountains, they would walk down crossing the Jordan River, walk around Samaria, and then they would come up through Jericho and go to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you. There's maybe some people I have some tensions with, but nobody I'd, would like walk around Holland not to see them. It's a pretty intense thing that they would even avoid going to their area. I tried to think of a comparison and the only very small comparison I could think of was if you are a Michigan fan, you have any of those in the room? If you are a Michigan fan, I imagine you don't like Ohio State very much. No, I don't, somebody said. 
Now, imagine not only that you didn't like Ohio State, but when you had to go to Washington, D.C., that you disliked Ohio State so much that you would drive around Ohio. Wouldn't take the turnpike. You'd go all the way down and go around Ohio. That would be a deep-seated rivalry, and that's nothing compared to the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. But it says in our passage that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He didn't have to. But he goes to Samaria because Samaria is on his mind and there's a divine appointment that is going to happen between him and a woman at the well. And one of the things that you and I can learn in our life of response of faith to God is, is that what it means to be intentional with people around us. You know, we often in our demanding days, we give priority to our schedule, to our activities, to our programs, to our sports. But maybe the lesson, the first lesson of this morning is is that we need to leave some margin in our lives to interact with people, to have some space, to have some flexibility, and to be open to God's nudges or what God lays on your heart of something you must do because God cares and God is prompting you with that. And another thing in being intentional is maybe you have to go where the people are if you're going to reach them at all. Authentic encounters don't just happen here at church, but maybe they happen more naturally and more authentically out in the regular places like coffee shops and schools and gyms and workplaces and sports practices and just wherever we find ourselves We can learn from Jesus and the fact that he intentionally went to Samaria and we intentionally need to place ourselves where we're going to engage people and maybe follow a prompt or something else that Jesus is putting on our heart. The second aspect is that we need to be real. And I'm going to continue telling the story. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you had asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he, or I who speak to you, I am. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the things we learn from Jesus is that he is real. He's sitting at Jacob's well. It's noon. Another clue from John of what the situation is, because at noon in the Holy Land, it would be hot. 90, 100, maybe 110. That probably sounds good to you right now. Usually when you're in the Holy Land, that doesn't sound good, and people would come to the well early, so they'd avoid the heat of the day, or they would come late in the day to get what they needed. But the well was the lifeblood of the town. It was like the city center or the marketplace. It's where everyone would go every day, but they would go early. And what we get a clue is, is it's noon and it's hot and Jesus is tired. He's been traveling. He's been walking. And the woman comes at noon, which is unusual. She would probably gather with, normally gather with the other women and have social time and they could let down, literally let down their hair if no other men were there. But she probably comes at noon to avoid the hassle, the gossip, the dirty looks. Because they probably know her past. We learn something about the approach of Jesus when they're at the well. They both need a break. Jesus is tired. Jesus needed some downtime. He was tired, hungry, and thirsty, a clear indication of his humanity, something that is a little bonus for us to think about. They both needed water. She had a jar. He did not. And Jesus respectfully asked her for a drink of water, which was unthinkable to her. And she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She looks right into his eyes and she sees something different. Someone trustworthy. Someone that looks like they might have promise in a fulfillment of what she's looking for. This man that she encounters at the well is different. And in quietly asking her for help, Jesus cuts through centuries of suspicion between the Jews and the Samaritans. He says, that's not the important thing. You're the important thing. And the woman gives an immediate response. She can hardly believe what's happening. And right here, Jesus does something that we can learn from as we seek to sort of do life and engage and eat and bless and engage others. 
As he uses a common point of need, of interest or contact with someone else. He asked a favor of her. He put, herself, put himself in a position of need. He's breaking down barriers. Rabbis would never speak to a woman in public. Not even his own wife. And he never would have spoken to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus is not a normal rabbi. Jesus was never limited by man-made barriers. And this woman had a need, a heart's need, and he knew that he could meet it. So we learned this morning just something quite, maybe it's a throwaway, but maybe something really important is that we need to be real. Reaching out with real humility and transparency about how we are and what's going on in our lives and challenging barriers and forging real connections with those that we do life with and meet in our daily lives. So briefly, I've talked about being intentional, about being real, and now I'm going to talk about being honest. Jesus was willing to point to a deeper need in her life. You see, when Jesus tells her, hey, if you knew who was here, you should ask him and he'd give you living water. You see, to her, she's not tracking with Jesus. She's still on the literal, like, hey, Jesus, you're offering me water that I'm never going to get thirsty. She's not tracking with him because to her, living water meant fresh flowing water that would not run out like a stream or something like that versus the cistern water that they collect from the rain or pools of water that would be dirty or that would be just sort of gross and would get things in it. She's thinking, I, I could use some living water. But Jesus uses this as a teachable moment for her. He says, you know that thirst that we have, that struggle you have day in and day out to find water to satisfy your thirst and to provide for your family? You know, there's a different kind of thirst that you have. You have a thirst that's created by God. A God-built, God-given thirst within us that he is going to use to point us to himself. He says, just as much as you need water on a daily basis, to satisfy your thirst. You need my presence. You need me to satisfy a thirst that you can only satisfy in that way. Jesus said to her in John 4.13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if we're honest in our day, as we sort of go through the demands of modern life in America, in Michigan, in Zealand, there's a lot of daily challenges that we face. Many people around us, many of us, are searching for something that will truly satisfy. Something real, something that will last in this incredibly changing, constantly changing culture. We're looking, what is something I can stake my life on? Something that's going to last. And what Jesus says is, hey, I want to give you something even better than just water every day. I want to give you a spring of water that will be planted in your life that can sustain you for a lifetime. All the seasons of your life, whether you're young whether you're in school, 
whether you're in the beginning stages of your adult life, if you're in the prime of your career, or if you're nearing the end, Jesus says, there's something in you that I can plant that will give you, that will satisfy you, that will direct you, that will empower you, and that can sustain you through all of the seasons of your life. And Jesus offers us, in the same way that he offered the woman, something quite unique that we can only find in him and something quite attractive to a world looking for something that's real. So Jesus is honest. And I wonder this morning, how do you come to Jesus as we pause for a minute in the story? Last week, Trent talked about having a gut check, a heart check. And maybe, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're searching. What's going to give me meaning? Maybe you're isolated like the woman. Maybe you're grateful and life has been good and you are so aware of what God has been providing. Maybe you're grieving and it's just a hard time. It's okay to bring that to God too. Maybe you're numb. Maybe life has just been a battle right now and you're just sort of numb. Maybe you're hopeful about something coming and you see God at work and something coming in the future. Or maybe you're just tired. Hear these words of Jesus. It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In another passage, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and weighted down, and I will give you rest. And in that verse, the actual tense of the first verse says it all. If anyone is thirsty, let them keep on coming to me. What Jesus intends for us is not just an eternal life insurance policy that we have for when we die. Jesus wants to be involved in our daily living and sustain us and nurture us and guide us and provide for us and lead us throughout our days. He wants us to keep coming to him. Jesus invites us to drink deep of the living water of his person, to come in gratitude for what he has done, to come rejoicing. And for some of us, just coming to rest in him as our rock and our redeemer, as our living water. So as we think about how do we live out our lives and how do we engage those around us and how do we point the way to Jesus, one of the ways is just to be honest. The goal of our missional living is not just to make a point or to win an argument, but taking the time to under understand the others around us in their world, their views, their challenges. And maybe by our presence in their life, by our authentic dwelling and living with them, we can baffle them to surprise them and say, why are you this way? And in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we care, pointing them to Jesus. I think people are really open to honest conversations. 
when it comes from someone they trust who's earned the right to be heard, like a family member, a close friend, or a trusted adult. You know, Jesus in verse 16 says to the woman now, he clarifies some things after being honest. He says, go call your husband. And by asking about her husband, he exposes this deep pain and this reality of her lifelong broken pursuit of one failed relationship after another. But the words of Jesus reveal sort of a deep loneliness, a hole in her heart that no man could fill. And these words of Jesus go to the core of her problem and in some ways speak to the core of your and my problem in the way that we do life. Because we all need to realize, just like the woman needed to realize as she was encountering Jesus, is that trying to satisfy our God-sized thirst in our lives with a spouse or friends, or accomplishments, or pleasure, or stuff, or fame, or lust, or looks, will always eventually leave us thirsty again. They're all good things. But when we try and put a created thing in the place of our creator, it will always leave us thirsty again. When the woman concludes, when Jesus says this to her, it's sort of unnerving to her a little bit. And so she changes the subject, thinking that she can get off. But actually, it leads deeper into the subject. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. She moves the focus away from herself and says, you know, where are we supposed to worship Jesus? The Samaritans worship here on this mountain, and the Jews worship in Jerusalem. So take a step back. Let's focus on that, because that debate's been going on for a while. When Jesus responds, he says, A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship the Spirit, worship in the Spirit and in truth. So Jesus is clear, and that's something that we can learn is to be clear. Jesus doesn't get focused on our past even though it's important. He doesn't belittle her worship or get sidetracked. He reveals to her that true worship and the kind of worship that is now going to be available through what Jesus brings is available everywhere and it's going to be fulfilled and completed in the work of Jesus. He says worship is worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. It's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship, and it's about the heart that you bring to worship. Jesus says, something unique is happening in me, and I'm going to provide access to worship the Father. Through Jesus and the work that he does, you have access to worshiping God the Father, and it's going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit that's going to allow God's Spirit to meet your spirit and bring those two together to have a holy encounter. It's not about this temple or that temple. It's about you becoming the temple where the Holy Spirit can dwell because of what Christ has done. And Jesus clearly reveals that the person in standing in front of her at this well was not just a Jewish man, not just a rabbi, was not just some prophet, 
but the very Messiah that she'd been longing for, that Jesus says very clearly, I am unique. I am, I am, or I am God. I am the Messiah. He's, I think, getting at that worship isn't just about what you do to get God's attention or what you do to be sincere before God. Worship at its core is about responding to what God, to what God has so completely done in Jesus Christ. And I want to be clear this morning, and I'm speaking this as clearly to myself as I am to you. I think Jesus' heart desire is that you and I will encounter his love and be filled with his life-giving water, that spring of living water, and that you and I don't need to keep turning to the things of this world that will never truly, truly satisfy. So we've talked about being intentional, being real, being honest, being clear. And this last one is, I want you to be open. You see, one thing that amazes me about Jesus when we turn and learn from him in the scriptures is how he can be so authentically present with people. He can connect in a way with their pain, but at the same time, see the possibility of what they can be. And one of the great truths that comes out of this story is that God is greater than any barrier. Geography, race, class, sex, or religious tradition. There are certain people that you and I might be tempted to conclude, you know, they're just not, they're just not going to be interested in Jesus. There's no way I know what's gone on with them. There's no way. And I want you to hear this morning out of the story of the woman is that we need to be open to what God might do in us and through us. You see in verse, chapter 4, verse 27 and 28, it says this, after Jesus says, I am the Messiah right here with you. She says, leaving her water jar, the thing that used to be the important part of her day and of her daily life, She says, she went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus encountered her, changed her, and Jesus took a rejected, dejected woman and made her a missionary to her own people. She met Jesus, she transformed her life, he transformed her life, and she couldn't stop talking about it. She was not ashamed of her story anymore. Jesus had changed her story. God had changed her story. And now God had changed her mess into her message. And I need to be inspired this morning. And I hope you're inspired this morning by this woman because it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two more days. He had room. He made himself available. He was intentional. And because of his words, many more Samaritans became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard it for ourselves. We've seen it with our eyes. And we know this man really is the savior of the world. She's the first missionary in the gospel of John. So my final challenge to us is to be inspired by the woman because I want my passion to be 
for Jesus to be so strong that I'm compelled to tell others just like she has because of what he's done for me. And maybe I challenge you this morning, has God been doing those kind of things in your life that you can't help speaking about it? Because when we encounter him and we experience what he brings, we can overflow with his joy and is out of his love that we go forth unable to keep from speaking about him. So this morning as I conclude, I've got good news for all of us. Jesus is still having authentic encounters. And maybe today is your day to encounter Jesus at the well like the woman. I wonder, what have you been striving for? Trying to satisfy that thirst that only God can satisfy. Jesus is ready to give you and I living water. It's been paid for by his death and his resurrection and it's free for the asking. My question to you and I got fingers pointing back at me is are we ready to receive it? And I, I pray this morning as we sing this final song, as we respond to the message is that we would all drink deep of the spring of living water that comes from the person of Jesus, that we'd build our life in him and be satisfied and fulfilled in Christ again and again. I don't know what you're thirsty for, but I know this, Jesus offers you and I living water that can sustain you for a lifetime. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, as we learn from this woman, as we learn from you, we pray that you would awaken a thirst in us for your presence. Awaken in us a thirst for you. And we pray, Lord, that you would transform our desires and help us root what we're really thirsty for in you and not in anything else that competes. May we find life-giving, life-altering, living water in you. And we pray it in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit. Amen. God sort of put it on my heart to say, if somebody here has never really responded to Jesus, and you want that life-giving fountain to be planted in your heart, please come forward and see me afterwards, and we can sort of go to the side and pray. I'd love to point you towards this love of Jesus that we're speaking of this morning. So this morning, we were pretty honest. But what I want you to know is that God invites us to worship him and come and be part of something that's unshakable. And so I want you to hear as we respond to God in spirit and truth that we have in Jesus something that cannot be shaken. I don't know what you face this week, but I pray you to hear these words from Hebrews 13, which were prompted by the song we just sang. It says, therefore, since we are receiving that cannot be shaken, let us 
be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, kind of this wow and this woe of worship. Like, wow, I can't believe I get to be in the presence of God and woe, I can't believe how incredibly different and holy God is. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire and he wants to be your rock and your redeemer. May you go in God's peace. Amen.